This is Stomp Tokyo, the Cult Movies Podcast, Episode 7, and my name is Chris Holland. I'm Scott Hamilton. And today we're here to talk about highly exciting things like Manos the Hands of Fate and remote controls. Remote controls is a great topic. Okay. Okay, he let's, says. Let's get, into, let's get into Manos the Hands of Fate first. Alright, all right, Manos the Hands of Fate, which is... One of the most boring movies I've ever seen. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, it was a movie that was, even among cult movie fans, it was pretty unknown um, until it showed up on Mystery Science Theater, and and they just had a heyday with it. That's for sure. Right. 1960s? I think so, yes. You know what? I'm going to look it up. But uh, describe as best you can what this movie is about. Uh, well, let's see. So it's about uh, a fam. Well, I guess it's just a guy and, a, and his wife and their daughter are driving someplace. I forget why, but the driving scene at the beginning goes on for like 20 minutes, or it's just ridiculous. And they eventually end up at this rundown mansion. With this, and there's this. Uh, they they end up having to stay there, and there's this creepy caretaker named Torgo, who has something kind of wrong with his knees, and uh, there's the master, which is this kind of evil-looking guy with Dobermans, and his brides, who are all women wearing white dresses, are kind of coming back to life and they're going to bring the master back to life and they're going to try to sacrifice the the visiting wife to 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 the bad guy to the master 1966 yes um entertainment weekly did an incredibly good article about it if you can if you can find that i'm pretty sure it's on their website all right i'll put that in the show notes if i locate it yeah um, where they basically talked to pretty much everybody they could find who would uh, who would still talk about the movie and how it came about and uh, you know kind of confirmed some of the rumors about it you know that they actually had a uh, a premiere event <laughs> that didn't go very well for the movie um, stuff like that it was uh, it was pretty interesting. I mentioned the show notes. I should mention that you can find the show notes at cultmoviespodcast.com, just in case you somehow found this podcast without going there first. Anyway, so boring movie gets, you know, distribution as all these sort of 60s horror movies did, languish in obscurity until Mystery Science Theater made a lot of hay out of it um, in the... 90s? Probably the 90s. Yeah. And um, now some lucky bastard has found a 16mm work print uh, which is the highest resolution copy of this film uh, known to date. And I will I bl- say the, the quality is awesome. Yeah, I mean it's the cinematographer, right? No, I mean as far as I can tell this Ben Solovey guy, who's uh, heading the Kickstarter, um, works in Los Angeles in motion pictures, but based on his LinkedIn profile, but um, he wasn't involved with the film, as best I can tell. 
Yeah, so. I, think, I think I'm wrong. I think he's he's just a collector of prints. Yep. Any interested party. An interested party. Um, I yeah I, I do like that he says that if you pledge five hundred dollars or more to the Kickstarter project to restore Manos, he will give you a complete 16 millimeter print of another non-Manos feature for my collection. (laughs) (laughs) And he sold those out. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But you can still, uh, still pledge plenty of money. Well, I mean, yeah, just, just to be clear, he is, he has overfunded his project by, by five times. Yeah. As of this, as of this uh, this recording, recording, He has made $48,130 of the 10000 he was trying to reach, and the Kickstarter is closed. It's closed. So, so. He's, he's good to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty funny. I mean, you look at the, the restoration stuff, and it's, it's going to look a lot better than, than what it did. It was definitely all grainy and washed out, and the DVD he's proposing to make is, is going to look pretty good. At least as good as it can, considering how the movie was shot originally. Yeah. So I am really interested in this model of film restoration. I think that there's certainly enough interest in this film to justify this restoration. I mean, one only need look at the 818 people who pledged nearly $50,000 to prove that. Uh, I think, though, that this is a really good way for um, those films that have that interest to sort of bubble to the top, you know, to, to find their those funds that, that are necessary to make that happen. Yeah. Provided that the, the rights holders take advantage of it. Well, that is the... That is my question. I don't see that he actually has the rights to the movie. I mean, I guess he's saying that it's public domain, which may be true. Yeah, well, uh, with this level of interest, I I hope he has his ducks in a row. (laughs) Because, you know, otherwise he's raised $48,000 on a project he can't, you know, legally complete. He can't release. I assume that if he think if he has good reason to think it's public domain, I mean, I doubt that there's anybody who would actually object in this particular case. Um, you know, but basically, what this comes down to is that of those 818 backers, if you do the math, pretty much all but about 260 of them are. I'm sorry, 100. All but 160 of them are going to be getting a DVD. So essentially, they've prepaid for the DVD. Right. is what this comes down to. And if you've got something like this, which is a niche, and you know, certainly is a niche project, you know, he's, you know, if he can break even on 600 and 600 and whatever DVDs going out the door, then more power to him, I say. Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, he's already, you know, he's more than, more than apparently covered his expenses, so... Yeah, I mean, this is this is interesting and exciting, and you know, I think that's true of a lot of stuff on Kickstarter. Um, I think this is the first kind of real B movie thing we've seen on Kickstarter, at least that I know of. Well, certainly from a, a from a restoration from a restoration standpoint. I mean, yes, plenty sorry. of B movies out there looking for funding. In fact, it's sort of a you know 
a tired joke in the film community that you know everybody is starting Kickstarter projects. Yeah. Uh, personally, I mean, I know way too many filmmakers to donate to each and every one of their Kickstarter projects. I'd be broke. <laughs> um, but the the Kickstarter projects that really excite me are, you know, the ones that have a clear product and a clear business plan uh, that that get me excited. Like I funded the Cosmonaut uh, products. Do you know about that? No. It was um, it is a capacitive stylus for the iPad, but it differs from other styli, styli in that it is designed to be the size, shape, and weight of a um, dry erase marker as opposed to you know, a pen, which is the more standard thing. And it actually feels much more natural, the, you know, the feeling of doing a white, whiteboard on an iPad is, is much closer, especially since you have to keep your, your hand up off the, the board itself, the iPad, yeah. or else you're you know, doing input. Anyway, so that and, and a couple of other things... Film-based Kickstarters tend to be a little pie in the sky, and you know, you, unless you have a really solid interest in the subject or the people making it, um, you never quite know what you're going to get on the other end. Here with Manos, with the restoration, you know very clearly what you're going to get, and he's made it very obvious. You know, here's the difference in quality between what's out there now for this film and, and what is possible. And you know the the quality of the some of the images that alone is is kind of exciting. And on that old Kodak, you know the '60s fashions and hairstyles on the the old Kodak Ektachrome stuff. It's just neat. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, speaking of of, uh, of Kickstarter, um, I did help fund Cowboy Creed, which is a short uh, being done by Ben Alpi. Okay. You know Ben. I do not. Uh, ben is Jodica's fiance. Ah, yes. Um, uh, the uh, woman who used to do our, uh, used to do our, um, what do you call him? Our intro. Welcome to Stomp Tokyo, the cult movies podcast. The podcast that eats like a meal. Yes. That got me older. The, the old podcast's British voice of, op- of opening. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you 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 did not fund Manos, but you founded funded Cowboy Creed. Yeah, I think I found out about Manos too late, quite honestly. Uh, well, no, you heard about it before then because it only ended a day ago. Oh, did it? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I just I just forgot. I mean, I knew that it was out there. Yeah. And I had looked at this before. It, I mean, it's it's neat. I'm glad this is happening. Um, you know, I imagine that, you know, if you, I mean, if you Kickstarter it for fifty bucks, you get the blu-ray or whatever i can't imagine that when he when he's actually selling the dvds on his website later on they're going to be 50 bucks so no this is getting in on the ground floor yeah this is you know but you know he's already funded it so it's all good and you you know you get the pin you get the t-shirt yeah so cool because i need a manos t-shirt i think you do (laughs) Hey, I already have a forever, or a forever Evil t-shirt, so I feel pretty special. Your wardrobe is, is nearly complete. <laughs> yep. Yeah! All right, so kind of somewhat in the same vein, I thought we could talk about uh, this list that io9 put together of, uh, of 
mm-hmm. of movies that are lost. Uh, you know, this is, you know, kind of the, uh, the karmic flip side of Manos getting a Blu-ray restoration. Um, you know, this is a list of movies. Some of them are pretty interesting, some of them less so, that are, as far as anybody knows, completely lost. Weird and wonderful movies you'll never get to see. And again, a link in the show notes. Yes. Um, the first one they have on the list uh, is one that I um, is pretty well known just from its posters. And quite honestly, I had seen so many different versions of the poster that I could not imagine that the movie was lost. Like, I had never seen it, but I just assumed it must be out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But apparently it isn't. Um, you know, it's a movie that's considered, it's got, called uh, Ingagi. And it's, uh, the, the poster that you usually see is of a, uh, a gorilla, shall we, let's, let's say, carrying away a black woman, um, is the usual poster that you'll see for it. Um, and, um, it was apparently a fairly controversial movie at the time. Uh, got sued because it used footage uh, uh, from uh, other movies without permission, apparently. And also apparently got sued because it attempted to be a uh, a found footage movie. And apparently this was the first time this had ever come up, the fact that this movie was kind of pretending to be... um, to be true, but it wasn't. So it actually got sued for false advertising. Uh, you know, obviously today we have less less of a problem with that. I don't know that we have less of a problem with it. I think it just everybody understands that it's fiction. Yeah. Even if the you know, I mean, nobody went into Blair Witch Project honestly believing that it was a documentary. I don't know. Some people, I think, did. Well, but, some uh, people are idiots. <laughs> um, but that was probably the last, the last movie, like the movie that's out right now, Chronicle. Yes. You know, I don't think anybody thinks that's actually found footage. But apparently, in 1930, that was enough of a enough of a novelty that Ingagi got got sued over it. Well, films themselves were enough of a novelty, right? Yeah. I mean, just seeing, you know jungle footage of animals in their natural habitat from across the world like that was huge right so you can imagine that uh film goers of the time were a little less cynical yes that's that's true um let's see looking at some other movies on this list uh the strange case of captain ramper which was a late silent movie um about a about a a man who's trapped on a an ice floe and mutates into a hairy beast. Um, this sounds really really interesting. Apparently, most of what we know about this movie comes from uh, from the reviews at the time that claim that it was pretty silly. But uh, you know, it definitely sounds like something that it, that we would like to see today, no matter how bad it is. Whereby we, you mean you. Yes, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> so, so, uh, other than these two films, like, which are the ones that, like, if you were told you could bring back any any two of them, you'd be like, those are the ones. Well, the the big one that they have on this list is King Kong appears in Edo. Okay. 
um, which is a Toho movie. I believe it was Toho from 1938 that is lost. Wow. So it's it's apparently a ripoff of King Kong to some extent, um, but it was set during um, set during uh, medieval times in Japan. Gotcha. And it, it's not really King Kong as an ape. It's really some sort of large furry biped um there's a poster that they've basically got a, a picture of here which is new this is for a long time there was another picture that was associated with this movie but i think they've determined that's the wrong the wrong picture um that you know kind of shows that it's not really it's not really king kong it's just some kind of it looks more like a werewolf, quite frankly. <laughs> it does look pretty werewolf-like. Um, but it, you know, that would probably be an, a pretty interesting, pretty interesting movie. I mean, it would be a Japanese giant monster movie that predates Godzilla. Which is, yeah, which is what's blowing my mind right now. The other one that I would probably be most interested in seeing is uh, the movie Human with Terrence Stamp and Jean Moreau. Um which sounds like it's a, a precursor to reality TV um, with some weird science fiction twists to it. Uh, let's see, they describe it here. An actor, Terrence Stamp playing himself, is placed in a series of dangerous situations while his fear is broadcast to the television audience. Their emotional reactions will determine whether he is sent into the future or the past. I don't know, that sounds like the kind of high... high uh, high concept movie that would probably be pretty interesting to see. You know, what's crazy is that it was made in 75. 75, yes. And has, you know, disappeared. That's, oh, that's sad. Yeah. There, there's a few of these movies that are from the 70s. Voodoo Heartbeat is also from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Once. Um, you know, some of these, it's not entirely clear if they ever got any distribution, so that might be part of why. Right why they died you know there's others like the 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 day the clown cried the jerry lewis holocaust movie that was apparently never finished or right but we all i mean we understand why that one (laughs) it's never been seen right i mean that that has more to do with the the personalities of the people involved than than simple you know forces of business or or whatever it is that that have kept like you know the 1930s King Kong in Edo thing that I mean the prints apparently were probably destroyed in bombings during World War II we get that but uh, yeah and the silent movies were like okay they didn't understand that these were going to be valuable so they didn't really hold on to movies the same way they used to burn them on mass to make room in the vaults for for new films yes and if you've seen and you've seen Hugo right you know they actually talk about how they were destroying the films to make plastic right for the you know for the war effort and stuff like that yeah i mean yes a lot of the old film prints were just destroyed because they didn't realize that they were going to have any place to you know show them in the future or that anybody would want to see that they had any cultural significance sure yeah but yeah then you have the later ones like from the 70s where it's like you know nobody's quite sure why this movie why this movie is is lost uh, you know, I don't know that there's any after the 70s. I think after, you know, the 80s and VHS, it has become much harder for a movie to actually get lost. 
Sadly, in some cases. <laughs> yes, sadly, but, you know. <coughs> Polly Shore. <clears throat> <laughs> okay. I, I don't know why I picked on Polly Shore. It just, <laughs> it just seemed like an easy target. Uh, I upgraded to the Logitech Harmony One recently. Yes. Is that the one you have as well? That is, in fact, the one I have. Uh, and the one thing that I was really looking for, uh, other than just a better battery situation than the old Harmony 650 or something that I had, uh, was the ability to control the PlayStation 3, which yes. is not uh, infrared. It is, uh, you know, Bluetooth. It is Bluetooth, yes. Uh, not that the Harmony One actually does radio frequency, but the radio frequency compatible remotes, number one, aren't as you know user friendly, but yes. number two, are incredibly expensive. Yes. Uh, so I picked up the PlayStation Three uh, infrared adapter that plugs into the I don't know what it plugs into um, into one of the controller ports. Is that it, or is it? Does it have an RF? Or it's a USB. It's a USB. It's port. USB. Okay. At any rate, it works really well. The the combination. Yes. Um, Except you can't turn it on or off. That's... Well, you can't turn it on. Sure, you can. You can. Yeah. Yeah, it does huh. everything. It has completely replaced my you know big dumb expensive Bluetooth PlayStation remote. Gotcha. Apparently, I'm, I'm apparently not... I need to to check again the, the new state of, of those IR things because the one I have mm -hmm. will do everything except turn on the, the PlayStation. Nope, this will turn it on, turn it off, no problem. Which is great because now I know my my PlayStation 3, which has replaced my DVD player, it has replaced my, you know, it is my Blu-ray player, it streams Netflix, it does all the stuff that I need it to do except watch, tele, you know, watch live cable television, which I use a TiVo for. Um, and watch other extraneous, you know, uh, web stuff, which I have a place—not a PlayStation, but um, I, have a I have a Windows PC oh, okay. hooked up. Um, that you know, I have a browser, obviously, and then I have Boxy, which plays, you know, some of the weirder uh, video formats out there. And the PC is the only thing this remote doesn't control. Um, I have a little IR dongle for the for the PC, but I'm having trouble figuring out which codes to plug into the you know to the Harmony to to get to control that. And anyway, you know you have to log in with the keyboard and you have to use the mouse to start the applications and all that crap. So it's really not that big of a deal. Yeah. Plus the fact that Boxy has an iPhone app that you know if you open it and both things are connected to Wi-Fi the iPhone can control the, the boxy playback, which is nice. Yeah. yeah. But I finally feel like we're cobbling together, you know, of all of these different boxes and, and whatnot, finally getting to the point where I no longer have to have eight remotes. Um, how would you describe your setup? Uh, my setup is I use a Harmony remote and I have a, a PlayStation, an Xbox, a Apple TV, a Wii, the DVR. Um, now the the Wii, I mean, you don't 
You don't play anything back on the Wii, do you? No, no. No, that's, that's strictly for gameplay. and the, That's for gameplay. The Xbox, mostly for gameplay. Yeah, and the Harmony doesn't do any anything with the Wii anyway. Um... No, it won't turn on the Wii. It'll yeah. it'll control the it will control the Xbox just fine. Yeah. Um, I also have a, a a backup DVD player for playing uh, out of region DVDs. Right. Um, but yeah, most of the time I use the PlayStation Three because it's just the best DVD player, Blu-ray player there is. Pretty period. much. Pretty yeah. much. The only thing I don't like about the PlayStation Three as a player is when it gets too hot. The, it makes a the fan noise, noise is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, make sure that you've <coughs> make sure that you've updated um, your software. I mean, it probably should have tried to make you do that anyway. Oh yeah, it, it interrupts me. I mean, that's the, that's another one of the downfalls as a as a DVD player or whatever is that sometimes it'll just stop you in the middle of whatever and say, "You can't do Netflix until you update your system software." Like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the, for me, that problem has kind of come and gone. Recently, it really hasn't been a problem at all. Mm -hmm. um, maybe try moving your PS, PS3 around and seeing if maybe it's a balance thing that'll make the, the fan be a little bit quieter. Yeah, maybe. The other thing that I know that I have to do every so often is just to clean those vents on the front yeah, side. That might be it, too. If, if they're, they're not clean, it'll definitely... Yeah. But, fortunately, the number of discs I have to play, you know... The only thing I really play these days, and we're sort of getting off the topic of remote controls, but whatever, um, are kids' movies um, and the occasional rented DVD. Uh, I think I'm about to give up my Netflix uh, DVD one at a time because I'm just not using it as much as I should. Yeah. Anyway, so so quick question. The Apple TV uh, is controlled by the, the Harmony pretty well? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It that works fine. Plus, you know, the remote app on your iPhone or your iPad will also control that. So Right. You know, I find the iPhone is not a good remote control. Why? Um, number one, I have to look at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, unless I have a really good feel for where the, uh, where the spots are on the remote face and where my thumb is in relation to them... I really do have to look down at it in order to, you know, whether to, to control the, the playback or whatever. And on with a real remote control, I can generally know by feel what's the play button, what's the pause button, what's the fast forward. And, you know. Oh, this is true. Um, and, you know, I use the Harmony for, for playback most of the time. But, you know, I do use the, the iPad or iPhone remote, depending on which one is closer at hand, uh, for mostly for finding things. For search, it's great. And Yeah, for search and, and, and all of that stuff. But if I'm like, okay, I want to play that TV series, it's faster for me to just use the remote app, you know, to find it there and click on it to play rather than going through all the menus with yeah. a, a regular old remote. Yeah. the the Before I bought the Harmony One, I tried to get around it with... Um, the Griffin Beacon. Have you seen this thing? No. So the the beacon, on the face of it, is a really good idea. You know, you've got your iPhone. You use it all the time anyway. Chances are you're, you know, if you're as ADD as I am, you're playing a casual game or checking your mail or something while you're watching something anyway. 
So why not use the iPhone as a remote if you can? So the Beacon is a little box, um, probably the size of um, a couple of decks of cards stacked on top of one another, maybe a little larger, but not, not big. And it has an IR emitter on the front and it has a Bluetooth uh, receiver. So you can connect to it from your iPhone with the Bluetooth receiver and then it'll blast infrared commands to your, you know, to your units. Gotcha. That way. So it's just a bridge. Yeah. But, you know, it, you, it's, you know, it's tiny, it's a little box, it runs on a few, few batteries, and it, it seemed like a really good thing. The, the other great thing about it is that you can do all the programming and all the updating and all the codes and the stuff on the iPhone itself. So yeah, so it's got its own program that it's running. Right. So you, you know, you open up the app and you say, "This is an activity I'm doing, and this activity requires the PlayStation, and it requires the television, and it requires the the home theater, and turn all these things on, and then set up my custom. This is these are the keys that I use. These are the keys that I don't use. I can have multiple screens of keys for less, you know, less used functions that I still want to have access to anyway. You know, neat concept. Two problems." Um, latency is huge. Mm, that would be a, a bummer. Yeah. So um, not just latency of like issuing key commands, but the latency of making sure that the beacon is active because it shuts itself down after inactivity to conserve batteries. Um, you know, so making sure it's on, launching the app. Oh, wait. B before I can launch the app, I have to go to settings and make sure that the beacon is connected to the iPhone as a Bluetooth device. You can't do that within the app. Um, sometimes it's automatic and sometimes it's not, but you still have to wait probably five or ten seconds for that to happen. Then you launch the app. Then, you know, you um, spin the little volume dial or, or do the up and down and, you know, it gives you a little bit of um, audio feedback to let you know that a command has been successfully issued but there's still like a half to a, not at a full second probably half second delay between when you would normally expect that command to go out and when it actually does go out mm, yeah um, that's not that's not going to work so that's the first problem latency second problem is battery life so uh, that's what i was wondering i mean wouldn't it make more sense to have it plug in somewhere well but that's i mean that's that's hardly convenient either it's, is it so between the IR blaster and the Bluetooth radio, you know, constantly uh, sending and receiving back and forth between the iPhone, four AAA batteries only lasts you about a week. Oh, see, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and you can go rechargeables and whatever, but you know, that once a week having to make sure that you've got charged batteries and flip them out, and no way. No, that's that's not reasonable. Fortunately, I mean, I think it retails for around $60. Fortunately, I was able to get it through Amazon and whatever for, I think, 35 But it, it, it was not a lot, you know, a lasting solution to my problem. Um, seems like a good idea, but just not, not there. So no. um, when I think about, you know, all the good money I've thrown, uh, <laughs> bad money after good or whatever it is, um, I've thrown at remote control solutions. It's a little irritating, but I'm, yeah. I'm pretty happy with what I've got now. I, you know, I think the harmony plus an iPhone for 
for boxy or the Apple TV is, I think, the best way to go. I mean, the Harmony One just works really well. Yeah. It's rechargeable. The macros work. Um, it's a nice layout. I like it. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk. I'm curious. But let's talk briefly about um, sound systems, home theater, you know, receivers. Because I have this same home theater receiver that I guess I bought in '98, '99. You know the one, the big Sony hunk of junk that I've had yeah. forever. Uh, and it's starting to show its age in that uh, it will not accept uh, HD, you know, HDMI input for mm. audio. Yeah, that's not good. So I've noticed that most modern home theater systems had just, you know, where they have analog inputs at all, they have the standard analog inputs, but they also have a nice row of you know, pass through HDMI, you know, HDMI goes in, it outputs the audio and then passes the video onto the television. Yeah. Uh, do you have one of those? Yes. Yeah, I actually have a, a Sony model um, and I use a sound bar basically instead of a 5.1 setup. But... Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I mean, any receiver you get today is going to be an HDMI you know, will be an HDMI thing and, you know, it'll be able to speak to the PlayStation and be able to tell what the PlayStation is doing. Mm -hmm. um, neat. Yeah. And if you have a Sony TV, it can, you know, it can turn those on and off, stuff like that, if you want to set it up that way. Mm. Well, that's one of the things about HDMI is that it's a two-way street. Right. Um, so, you know, the one device can control the other through that. Um, the only problem is that my TV doesn't really like it sometimes, my receiver. Uh -huh. So sometimes it'll it'll give me the blue screen of death, you know, basically saying, I don't see anything there. And so I have to turn the TV on and off again. But uh, So you do know, you have a Sony television? No, I do not. I, oh, have, okay. I have an off-brand TV. Gotcha, so. that you bought on Woot or something. Yeah, somewhere. I forget where. Yes, I have an ancient Westinghouse uh like 27 inch I mean just Bobo flat screen television <laughs> but you know it's it's you know with the space that we have it's more than it's more than big enough for you know actual casual watching I think the next TV I get will probably be something more on brand you know um, yeah that they're, they're, I won't have to fight to find the remote codes for it yeah right. so anyway Sony seems to be, you know, Sony makes some good TVs. They're yeah. losing money on them, but they make some good TVs. Yeah, I know. I think uh, a Philips or a, uh, a Sharp or something like that, again, where I don't have to fight to find the remote codes, but it's maybe even a Panasonic if I decide to pony up the extra bucks. Yeah. Um, anyway, so w w I will... Uh, the the receiver I have is, is a Sony, but it's so pre pre-everything <laughs> so pre-hdmi so pre-playstation it still puts out good sound but i definitely i can't hook up my um my apple tv uh because this television again is old enough it doesn't have the standard hdmi thing it has the older uh you know pl uh, not playstation that remember when apple used to have the the hd connectors that were like 
they're fat and chunky and they had like uh four connectors on the left side and like a bunch like 16 pins on yeah. the right side whatever they were called yeah some pchdmi or some some crap like that anyway so i have an adapter for for that that goes out to the standard hdmi and my devices plug in but it doesn't pass audio through so for my playstation and my pc i have analog audio going to the receiver and the HDMI video going to the television. Yeah, it's, it's an ancient setup. It is, yeah. <laughs> I have not spent a lot of money upgrading my, my system, but uh, one of these days. So one thing I think from last week that we should talk about real quickly, did you ever see how much of B-Fest was actually on Netflix? I did, I did, um, and posted to the cultmoviespodcast.com blog um, a list of those movies uh, broken out by the kind of movie they get shown at B-Fest in, in roughly the order that it gets shown in. So they always start off with kind of a high-energy either action movie or sci-fi and start rolling into the um, black-and-white stuff. And, and there's this whole chronology of you know when these movies typically get shown during the 24 hours that is B-Fest. So that's all up at cultmoviespodcast.com. It's called Choose Your Own B-Fest, like the old Choose Your Own Adventure books. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. There weren't actually many shows, though, that they they actually... I mean, there weren't that many actual movies on Netflix, were there? No. Surprisingly few. Yeah, that was, what, that, was what, that was kind of what shocked me. Yeah, in fact, for the giant monster section, the, you know, the giant monster finale that always happens at B-Fest... Um, I actually had to cheat. I had to use movies that are available on Netflix that fit the criteria, but have never actually been shown at B-Fest. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's a little little irritating, I have to say. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I'm looking, and what movies were they here that they showed at this year's B-Fest? Um, good question. Uh, none of those. None of those. Uh, Monk, no, Monkey Hustle wasn't this year, was it? No. Galaxy Invader? Maybe? Okay, Galaxy Invader, that was one. So yeah. that's more or less it. Yeah. Roadhouse, maybe? No, Roadhouse isn't available. Brain from Planet Aris, not available. Werewolf, you, no. No, none of these. Jeez, that's such a... See, this is my problem with Netflix. Yeah, a lot of the B-movie stuff is just not, not on there. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, Netflix would be so great if you could see pretty much anything they really need to work towards that and i don't know maybe that isn't a a big concern to the vast majority of people but it really is kind of a bummer that with dvd on its way out there isn't really something that's picked up the slack in terms of all these other movies well i think once the rights holders of these films you know figure out that they're not making the money on DVD that they used to be. I mean, maybe that's because these are the holdouts. These are the ones that people generally have to buy on DVD as opposed to seeing them elsewhere. And, and there's enough of a, a collector's market for these strange, weird films. You know? Yeah. It's still, still a little disappointing. Yeah, there's always market forces at work. Yeah. And you have to believe that, you know, the... Films that you want to you want to see and that there's demand for, and clearly there's demand for these films, no matter how rotten and bad they you know might be. 
uh, that they they get purchased. They they showed up at Best Buy and they'll show up online eventually. Yeah. Hopefully sooner rather than later, but. Yeah, the okay. ex- the explosion I see on Netflix is on television. Yeah, yeah, which I guess that it's, you know, because they've always packaged television as entire series or entire seasons, that's much more of an investment. I suppose that the sales are probably a lot lower than that than on an individual movie. And and the bang for your buck when you're as a viewer, you know, I know that if I find a television series that I like, I'm getting at least ten or twelve episodes out of it. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, the exception are some British series, but still. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Have you seen Spaced? Yes. Uh, I actually had to find Spaced a couple of years ago through non-Netflix means. Uh, I, actually yeah. got, I actually got tired of it about halfway through. It gets better towards the end. Uh, I, I may pick it up again. I just... Yeah, the, the, I agree. I, the beginning of the second season really started to lose me. But I, but the last three episodes were really good. You powered through, huh? I powered. Well, I powered through it because someone told me that it got, you know, it got better, and it does. The last three <laughs> episodes are better. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you ever watch the It Crowd or the IT Crowd or whatever? Um, I've seen some episodes of that, not the whole thing. Yeah, I, I think most of it had to do with the actors on that show, because it's so so arch and you know campy to yeah to, to it's difficult to take seriously, even as a comedy, but. Uh, I don't know. I really enjoyed that series. Um, so that's kind of in the, the same same place as a Big Bang Theory is for me. Yeah, I mean, where I can watch a f- couple of episodes, but I can't really watch the entire series because it is so arch. It is so campy. Yeah, it's you know how a lot of people feel like it's a lot easier to watch and follow a television series if you watch it all in one go um, on DVD or on Netflix or whatever. I find the opposite is true for Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Like, once a week interrupted by occasional, you know, season hiatuses is the perfect way to watch that. Because you never, you know, it's it's 20 minutes of just stupid dumbness and pop culture references. And then it's over and you don't have to think about it for a while. All right. Well, I think we've wasted our time and theirs, our lovely listeners. They have best-looking listeners in the business. This has been another episode of Stomp Tokyo, the Cult Movies podcast. This was episode seven. Seven whole episodes, Scott. Yep. We rock. Lucky seven. Uh, You can get in touch with us at theguys at stomptokyo.com. I'm on Twitter as stomptokyo. Scott's on Twitter as scopi, S-C-O-P-I. And we'd love to hear from you. I don't even know what to say next. (laughs) (laughs) Say goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie. (laughs) 